Hello all, and welcome to the very first full-length episode of Inside and Outside the Lines. I'm your host, Timmy Chick, and today we'll be discussing the World Cup. We are only a short 11 months away from it, and I cannot be more excited. So diving into today, we are starting off with the location. The location of the World Cup this year is being held in Qatar. Qatar is a Middle Eastern country all the way over on the other side of the world from us. And it is a very hot climate, which is why it is being held in the winter. The winter time is going to be able to enable the players to be able to play in a more comfortable uh, degrees and climate because the conditions would be um, at extreme heat during the summer, which it is typically played. It is typically played through the months of June and July, um, sometimes extending into August, depending on the exact date that it starts and depending on FIFA's um, rules and, and regulations that year and whatever they say, you know, how many days there has to be in between the group stage and the qualifying rounds and when the exact final is. All of those things are just uh, changes in antics for um, that depend year to year, every four years, you know, as FIFA changes their policies um, over the years and changes in leadership and agendas um, roll through international football. Um, but as let's 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 dive into this. Um, I there are there are a lot of concerns and complaints and um, bad news and um, like a gray cloud surrounding uh, the World Cup being held in Qatar. It is the Middle East's first time uh, hosting the World Cup. And personally, I think it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for the people, great opportunity for the government, for the economic system over there, great opportunity for the game to expand, and we can bring more players and more people into this beautiful game that we love. And it's gonna, it's just gonna be a great atmosphere there. I, I, I wish I could go. And the, the thing is, when we brought the World Cup to the United States in 1994, it helped expand the game and it, it uh, made the MLS so much of a better place and more competitive simply because we brought the world cup here and brought recognition to the fact that yeah this is a big deal and even since then it has grown significantly the world cup and the mls we would not be in the place we are today with american soccer without the world cup being here in 1994 and imagine that in 1994 and all of the different changes that have happened in the past 25 years to the game um uh, uh european asian african south american and then of course north american and canada the united states the the game has absolutely evolved over the years um so yeah let's dive right on into what we have today uh first off after talking about qatar we are going to be diving into the drama with the european teams and some of the playoffs are going to be happening there and then we're going to be talking about a big 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 news here with Italy and Portugal being drawn together that's going to have some big repercussions after that happens and then of course we'll be discussing the U.S. men's national team and their very successful year last year and their future going into this world cup and then we're going to be discussing a little bonus topic at the end biennial world cup question mark if that happens and what is that going to mean for the world of soccer and um, what happens if that does happen with the changes in the economic and um, the spirit of the game and, and um, you know how much it really means to the players having it only two years instead of every four years. So first off, starting that it was that's being held in Qatar, like I said, it's gonna be held in the winter throughout the months of November and December. Um, it'll it will overlap into January most likely. Um, we don't have those exact dates yet. However, the first kickoff of the first game of the 2022 World Cup is being held on November 21st, 2022 in the Al Bait Stadium. 
which was inaugurated just a few months ago and uh, it was built very quickly actually. They are churning out stadiums over there. The, we are being hosted, the world is being hosted by Qatar and it is, they are hosting us in eight separate stadiums in their country and they've also built a total of 11 more hotels um, in just in the past two years. Um, to be able to expand and uh, compensate, and I assume they're going to be keep building more, but to compensate for all of the people coming to watch and all the players and all the teams, and like there are people from all across the world, they're going to be flooding into Qatar, which is why I think it is going to be such a beautiful thing for the game and for Qatar itself as a country. Um, as long as they do everything right and they don't they don't let a catastrophe happen and they you know they, they let the game just happen you know they have to give that freedom to the players and to the teams which it's going to be a great thing and I, I cannot wait for that to roll around all right you know moving right on into the next topic we've got european drama happening in world cup qualifying so the first the first thing that we have is that um england and belgium qualified quite comfortably um but what happened is that Italy went away to Northern Ireland, which is really going to have major impacts later. So they actually tied Northern Ireland um, after 90 minutes of gameplay, which is going, which after that happened, that entailed that they would get drawn against Portugal. And now that they're getting drawn against Portugal is going to have major ramifications for the rest of the World Cup later in November, which we're going to get to here in a few minutes. But the playoffs this year are going to have even more drama. So right now we have 12 teams left in Europe that do not have a guaranteed spot in or out. And those 12 teams need to become three this coming March in the European playoff. And it is going to be absolutely electric. The tension that's going to be at these games, and they're just World Cup qualifying games. They're not even the games themselves. But the tension of those games is going to be ridiculous all of those players playing just to play another World Cup. They're going to be, there are players that are going to be in that this is possibly their last chance at a World Cup and that if they don't get in, they're, they're done. Um, so path A uh, for some of these teams are the semifinals. So we've got Scotland versus Ukraine and Wales versus Austria. Um, personally, I, I like Wales because I like Gareth Bale. Um, so I, I hope that they they get through as well as Ukraine has some some just phenomenal soccer over there um, very intense um, Players they have some good goalkeepers over there um, The winner of Wales versus Austria will be at home in the final So if Wales pulls out and defeats Austria, they will have the advantage running into the final against Scotland or Ukraine and now path B is Russia versus Poland and Sweden versus the Czech Republic and um, of course we all know Sweden as Latan Ibrahimovic's home uh, he calls it he, uh, he they are his children the the Swedish people um, and then of course Russia hosted uh, the World Cup in 2018 which went very well for them which is why going back to Qatar I totally think that that is a fantastic idea even though there's a lot of doubt and uh, gray clouds circulating um, Qatar and the success that it could be for the game and for Qatar itself um, but Russia is going to be back in it if they can take care of Poland because the winners of Russia versus Poland will be at home in the final so they will be taking on the winner of Sweden versus the Czech Republic now path C, this is the most interesting and electric path. It is Italy versus North Macedonia and Portugal versus Turkey. 
in the semifinals. And now the winners of Portugal versus Turkey will be at home in the final. So the majority of us here, including myself, are assuming that Portugal is going to take care of business with Turkey. No doubt it's going to be a close and electric game. Every single one of these games, even if you have a country that is way better than the other country, they are close, they are electric, they are tense, they are on fire because they have nothing to lose and they have they have everything to lose and everything to gain at the same time. Um, it's very rare that you see blowouts of you know two, three, or four or more goals in these World Cup qualifying games, even if you have two countries of um, the completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but then Italy versus North Macedonia, I would assume Italy takes care of business also with North Macedonia and then has to go to Portugal and play at Portugal's home stadium against Cristiano Ronaldo in that game. Those are going to be ridiculously intense. And if that happens with Italy versus Portugal, that it will be a very intense game with some big ramifications. Now here, here are some of the main players that are going to be um, highlighted um, that will be gone from the World Cup if they do not make it. So for Portugal, if they end up losing in the final, we have obviously Cristiano Ronaldo for uh, Manchester United, as well as Ruben Diaz, Manchester City, Bruno Fernandes, Manchester United, phenomenal player just his vision and his sight on the field is just absolutely fantastic you can go and you can watch the highlights of his shots and his free kicks and his penalty kicks those are all great and beautiful but what i love watching bruno fernandez do is his passing ability and his assists his vision to see the game two three four steps ahead it's just it's fantastic it's next level and then of course you we also have diego jota bernando silva and Ruben D Neves. Ruben Neves is actually a very underrated player, I think. He plays for the Wolves in the Premier League, and he's a very, very solid center midfielder. He's um, like Ingola Conte from Chelsea. He he just dominates a game silently. You know, he makes the tackles that need to be made. His, uh, you know, passing accuracy is always like 94, 95, 97%. Um, so he's always just keeping the ball for his team and, and taking care of business. Um, now, moving on to Italy, what um, the big players that will be missing from Italy of course, you have Gianluigi Donnarumma, the fantastic goalie who's just had an incredible past few years and, and you know, had the game-saving penalty kick or game-winning penalty save, excuse me, in the um, in the competition last year. And he, what was funny was he didn't even react and his, his comment after the interview, after the game in his interview was uh, that he didn't even know, he wasn't even counting. He just got up and saved, got up and saved, got up and saved which I thought was very, very wise of him, not even thinking about the score or of uh, who's winning or losing in the penalty kick shootout. And he just got up and, and got business done. And then the other noticeable names, of course, would be Leonardo Bonucci, the famous, uh, famed, legendary Italian defender. He's now 34. So this is most likely, unless he pulls off a LeBron James or uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Tom Brady-esque career and goes for four more years, very strong. He will not be at the next World Cup. This is his last opportunity to play in a World Cup. And so that that is big. This is a big for him. And then, of course, Jorginho, who also plays over at Chelsea. Um, and I would say he's very similar to Bruno Fernandes. I love watching his goals and his and his free kicks and his penalty kicks and how cool and classy he is. But his passing and his tackling in the middle of the field and his vision to keep the ball for Chelsea and put them in good opportunities and give them good advantages is just is just beautiful. The way he just directs the game because of his leadership on and off the field. 
a few other names, big names from Italy that could be out of the World Cup if they end up not qualifying due to losing to Portugal is uh, Manuel Locatelli, Lorenzo Insigne, and Fred Federico Chiesa. Now, Federico Chiesa is one of my uh, favorite underrated players that don't get talked enough about enough. He's over at Juventus, and he was outshined with Dybala when Dybala was in his prime. And uh, then, you know, as soon as, you know, it was almost his moment to step up, Ronaldo comes to Juventus after leaving Real Madrid. And then Chiesa is, of course, in the shadow again. And now it's just, now he's just falling off a little bit. Uh, Chiesa is not uh, performing as well as I think he should be because there is that opportunity for him to step into that space. But also now they have Alvaro Morata over there who's taking some of the limelight. Now Chiesa is not, of course, a nine who's going to score the goals. But his left foot is just an absolute thing of beauty. When he hits that shot and curls it perfectly in, it is it is a beautiful thing to watch. So those are some of the main players that are that you should keep an eye on heading into the the World Cup qualifying here in March with Italy and Portugal slated against each other if they both take care of business in the semifinal. Now, that is Italy versus Portugal. Now, moving on to our second-to-last topic for today is the U.S. men's national team. And the U.S. men's national team has had just... it Last year was just absolutely outstanding for them. They broke records. They went 17-2-3, as well as they scored 46 goals, and they only had 11 goals against. They had more victories than any other country during the calendar year, and they had more official trophies than any other country. They won the Nations League final notably, and they also won the Gold Cup final. Now, the Nations League final, well, it's, that one's a special one to me. So I was actually in St. Louis for a soccer camp for my own recruitment. I was at a, I was at a SLU camp. I was staying at um, one of our family friends' houses, and we watched the Mexico uh, United States-Mexico game that night, and it was absolutely electric. And I didn't think we were going to be able to watch it for a while, but then we finally found the channel. But essentially what happened was, um, you know, late late in the game, it's 2-2, and um, United States gets a penalty kick. And it is somewhat controversial, but I, I do believe it was a foul. It looked pretty clear and obvious to me. Um, and Christian Pulisic, uh, our number 10, our Captain America, steps up to the spot and takes a deep breath and just absolutely smashes it into the top right corner everybody goes crazy we're up three to two and then lo and behold two maybe two and a half minutes later penalty kick call against the united states for mexico and earlier in the game our starting goalkeeper zach sevens had actually been injured i believe he injured his knee or something on his leg but he was out and so for a while ethan horvath was in the game our backup who actually at the time, I believe he was our third string because I believe Matt Turner was our second string and he was out. He was out for that entire competition. So I think our starter was Zach Steffen and then our second string typically would have been Matt Turner, but he was out. And so I think since Matt Turner was out, Ethan Horvath had to step up who had never played in US Men's National Team game before. And so that was his cap. That was his first ever game in wearing that jersey in an actual game not not just a friendly and it's and it's a nation's league final and they get a penalty kick and they step up and drill it to the bottom right and ethan horvath best save of a penalty kick i've seen in a very long time 
and basically seals the game for the United States. All they have to do is kill three or four more minutes of, of extra time because by this time it was 118th minute was the penalty kick. So they had two more minutes until the 120th minute, you know, two minutes of added time for injury time. And then that's the game. And they, they take the W there. Now, a few notable players from the U.S. men's national team for last year were, of course, Christian Pulisic um, with the penalty kick for the win, and Weston McKinney had a fantastic game. He had a goal in that game as well. Serginio Dest, phenomenal year, breakout year for Dest. Brendan Aronson, breakout year for him, absolutely electric all year round. I personally, Brendan Aronson is one of my favorite American players. Um, I think he's a bit underrated. I don't think he gets talked about enough. But I definitely, I, I really like that kid. He is, he's shifty, he is gritty, he will work his tail back and win the ball and then create a play out of nothing. Um, not even by doing it himself, but by making the right pass and making the right run can unlock a defense and then it, it helps. He makes other players around him look a lot much better than they actually are, which is a, a, an impressive thing to do as a player. And actually, what's, that's actually what makes players great, is you make your teammates much, much better. Now, last year, uh, U.S. Men's National Team went 3-0 over Mexico, which was the first time they had ever done that, which was very impressive to them. Now, heading into this World Cup qualifying, they are currently second in the table for the World Cup qualifying, only to Canada. They're only down one point to them, and I, I believe that they can 100% um, pull out on top or at minimum in on second in the table i believe they are the best team on the table and as they should be on top of the table um, they may or may not be heading into march so qualifying for the world cup has been a struggle for the u.s men's national team when they lost to trinidad and tobago in 2018 and failed to qualify but however this year I believe they made a statement game because in one of their games, now I know it's Trinidad and Tobago, don't get me wrong. However, in their game against Trinidad and Tobago in 2021, they beat them 7-0 and coming very close to beating another one of their records of most uh, of biggest goal differential in a game against an opponent, which I believe their record is 8-0. However, um, so they, I think they, they made a statement game there. And so saying like, we're a different team than we were then. We're going to be making the World Cup this year. Not only making it, we we hope to actually make a mark, do, uh, make, take a stand, and go far. Now, how far they'll actually go in the World Cup is hard to say because we don't know wh where they're going to lie in their group, and we don't know if they make it out of the group stage, where they're get, who they're going to get, because they could they could get an absolute powerhouse like France in their group, and maybe get that second spot. However. It's really hard to say because we don't know any of the groups yet. And also, maybe they get a really easy group, but then in the very first elimination round game, they get drawn against someone like France or England or Belgium um, or Italy, who I believe to be a powerhouse. And it, it could be devastating to their World Cup run. However, you never know how those things go. Every single one of those games is very usually very typically close. And... This year is going to be no different, and I just cannot wait for it to roll around because I believe this is a very special team that we have upon our hands. We have some of the best youth we've ever had, which means that we need the experience this year in the World Cup. We need to make the World Cup. We need to get, get the experience that we have been lacking. We have youth. We have fire. We have passion. We have creative coaching, but also 
we need the discipline and we need the experience from some older players. So I think that if we make a far run in the World Cup this year, that in four years when the World Cup comes to North America and comes to the United States, that there's a legitimate chance that that team in 2026 can win the World Cup and be the first U.S. men's national team to ever win the World Cup. But they need the experience from this year. Now, finally, for our final topic of the day, we're going to be talking about the possibility of a biennial World Cup. Now, this was a couple months ago that they talked about this. However, FIFA's president, Gianni Infantino, was speaking at a global summit of FIFA member nations, and he revealed that a biennial World Cup would likely generate an additional $4.4 billion in revenue, an increase of around 60%. Now, however, that is over a four-year cycle. And as we look at it, that is compared with a cur- the current quadrennial cycle of the tournament. And he said there was probably enough support among members to approve this right now, but that he would hold more consultations in an attempt to make a broader, more holistic reforms. Now, many stakeholders, including confederations such as UEFA and organizations like the World Association of Professional Football Leagues and Players Union, FIFPRO, as well as clubs and federations primarily in Europe and South America, are opposed to the idea. Now, Europe and South America are the powerhouses of the World Cup. The majority of the winners are coming from Europe and South America. In South America, you have Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, all of those major countries down there. And then in Europe, of course, you have England, you have Belgium, you have France, you have Germany, you have Italy, you have all of these major, major, major Um, countries that are generating a lot of money and have the majority of the big money players and the big big names that are breaking in so much of this money and now the majority of those organizations like the world association of football uefa fifpro and the players union they are all opposed to the idea and some have produced their own studies that a biennial world cup would be financially damaging now this is where i get frustrated and I get caught up in the wording of this of what the president Gianni Infantino said his entire point is to make more money he that's his entire argument is based off of the money now I'm sure the players have to make you know they have to do their research and they have to say oh it's actually going to be detrimental to what we want and to uh, the the spirit of the game but they have to use say that using the evidence and using their own research that it would actually be damaging financially but they don't want it to be every two years they want a world cup to be every four years it's worth less if it's every two years as much as a champions league is phenomenal champions league you know trophy is amazing and phenomenal and every player would love it and the majority don't get it Every single one of those players that has ever won a Champions League that have not won a World Cup, I would guarantee you that the majority of them would say they would rather win a World Cup. It means more with your country, and it means more that it's only every four years, and it means more because you have the entire world watching. It is the biggest sporting event of all time, and it always will be. It's like like a, a comparison for Americans is like winning a World Cup is um, a... There's not even an American equivalent. None of the major sporting events in America. Here, it's like this. It's like the Olympics. The Olympics only happen every four years. It's like winning a gold medal in the Olympics, except a bigger deal. But it only happens every four years. You only get so many opportunities. Some players only get it once in their lifetime. Some players get it, you know, are lucky. 
or I'm blessed like Ronaldo and Messi who have gotten it a multitude of times over their career to try and attempt and even the best of the best Ronaldo and Messi that's the thing you could be the greatest player in the world you still might never win a World Cup that was one of the other big things from 2021 with Argentina Messi winning his first international trophy that was just surreal that he's been playing for this long and just now won an international trophy so to the players I 100% and with them on that they are against it but I think that the what they're saying that it would be financially damaging is may or may not be true but I think that that's inconsequential I think that they can't look at the money they're making enough money 4.4 billion more think about that that's 60% more of what they're already making they don't need more money the money is not the object here, and that's what they should be pushing. They should be pushing for the fact that it is about the glory and the love and the passion for the game and to win it for your country. Like, you have an entire stadium chanting your country's national anthem, and you come home after winning the World Cup, and it, it's a uniting thing, bringing the entire country together, that it doesn't matter, you know, if you are lean left or you lean right or what race you are, what religion you are. If your country wins their World Cup, it is such a uniting thing that brings so many people together. It doesn't even matter, it matters if you're not that big of a fan of soccer or football. It just matters that you're like, oh, the United States won a World Cup. That's awesome. And then you see your friends who love the game. You see how happy it makes them. It makes you happy because you have nothing negative against it because you're not from Russia. You're not from Sweden. You're not from Wales. And now if you are and your country ends up winning, that is just another beautiful thing. It, it is uniting to every single country if they win. France, last, uh, last World Cup in 2018, when they won, they've been dealing with a lot of internal strife and internal um, disease in the past 10 or 15 years, politically, um, in their education system, in their, in their workforce. It just hasn't been great for France. Um, they've had a spike in terrorism, all of these things. Now, however, in the past four years, despite the pandemic and despite everything that's been crazy in the past four years, they won the World Cup in 2018. And they are, they're, they are doing better. They are on the uptrend politically. They are on the uptrend in their education system. They are on the uptrend in their workforce. They are on the uptrend with their sports teams, all of their sports teams. Even their basketball teams are doing better because it is a, it's, like, it's a boost. It's, like a, it's a steroid to your country. But having it every two years takes away so much of that power. And those players don't want that. I can guarantee that they would much rather have it every four years. Um, I know I would. And personally, as a fan of someone who's not going to be playing in a World Cup anytime soon, I would much rather have it every four years. It's every two years. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll see you in two years. But every four years, it's like when it rolls around, it's like a bigger gift. It's delaying your gratification. And it makes you savor every single moment in every single game. It doesn't matter if it's the two worst countries playing in group stage you're going to enjoy that game because they're playing with all the passion they have and it is some beautiful football to watch Alrighty, guys that completes this first very first full-length episode of inside and outside the lines and man i had so much fun recording this um, i spent a lot of time and effort into it um, and i'm looking at my list now for future episode ideas and topics and conversations i can have but if you guys have any ideas or suggestions or questions for the podcast or anything that you guys want to talk about or you want me to talk about feel free to send them on in you can contact me just send those ideas and suggestions into inside and outside the lines on instagram or email me at at 
inside and outside the lines 10 at gmail.com or tweet me at timmy underscore chick 10 be sure to follow share it with your family and friends and i'll see you guys next week